Hi everyone, Layla here, and welcome back to another episode of Confronting COVID. Today, I'm going to be discussing the financial implications of the COVID-19 pandemic, both on a micro and macro level. Let's get into it. According to Pew Research Center, roughly half of non-retired adults say the economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic will make it harder for them to reach their financial goals. Even more devastating is the fact that one in 10 Americans believe that their finances will never recover after the pandemic. In the early days of the pandemic, millions of workers were laid off indefinitely or let go from their jobs due to social distancing restrictions within the pandemic. A significant amount of Americans, the majority being young women, were also forced to take unpaid time off from working in order to care for their families. Young people are also particularly hurting from the pandemic as many were not able to complete internship opportunities as a result. This leads to many young people having less job experience and a harder time finding jobs due to lack of connections or open positions. While these negative financial outcomes are devastating for lower to middle income Americans, upper income Americans may be facing a different fate. 39% of upper income Americans say that their family's financial situation has improved during the pandemic. These statistics show that the pandemic has further increased the wealth gap in America. To receive more answers about the state of the economy and advice for Americans to protect their wealth and continue to reach their financial goals during this unprecedented time, I spoke with Peter Sanfilippo, a financial advisor at UBS in St. Louis, Missouri. Pete has over 20 years of experience as a financial advisor and earned his bachelor's degree in economics from Washington University in St. Louis and his master's in business administration from St. Louis University. My first question would be, um, starting out, what is the most dramatic shift you think you saw um, with the economy as far as the pandemic goes? You know, I mean, I think, I think the most dramatic shift, um, and we don't know if it's going to be a long-term or a short-term, right? Right. Um, is, is I think that the, the, the most dramatic shift we saw going back was this entire mobility and consumer activity trend, which is a mm-hmm. fancy way of saying how day-to-day life was affected. Right. Okay. And so, you know, right now you saw there was back in March, there was such a, as part of the, I don't want to say lockdowns, right. But as, as part of the process, there was such a, a force to get workers out of the offices, out of the plants, out of everything, and they are home for a period of time. And some of them continued working remotely, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the, the mobility, the utilization of technology, the, you know, the evolution of, of working really, uh, just took a huge leap forward. Huge, huge leap forward, uh, leapfrogging it. So, to give you a perspective, uh, you know everything that an advisor and or uh, an, an administrative assistant would, would do 
would come into the office, they'd log on, they'd have access to everything, right? Um, and, and in the financial services industry, within a period of a couple of days, worst case weeks, you know, they were figuring out, we were figuring out solutions on how for people to be able to log in remotely, access all the client information they needed to, but they also had to be able to access that information in a secure method, right? right? And so the, 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 the biggest leap was you, you had this big push out of, of, of people and, and those ripple effects, um, just like the conversation I was having before this one, what does commercial real estate look like going forward, right? right. Our office setting is gonna be the same. Um, are you going to have the, are you going to see companies with the same square, square footage or footprint, the idea of big, big corporate campuses of working, or is there going to be more spread out? Um, you know, that, that jump is, is a process that we're not going to see real clarity through. I think for, you know, I think it's going to be a decade to see what, what really happens there. Um, and, and the biggest, and, and now lines are being drawn in the sand. Right. Yep. Recent sur- recent surveys of employees have said that they will, you know, they'll quit or they'll look for another job if they're quote unquote forced to go back to the office five days a week. Right. 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 Whereas seventy percent of CFOs uh, here in the last month, a large group of, of CFOs and and, and HR people uh, are fully intending to get back to the office settings that they had before. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by the end of the year. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, the, 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 that, that shift again has the ripple effects on what the commercial real estate market looks like. Um, it goes back to, uh, another set of, of just consumer, consumer discretionary consumer de- decisions with regards to travel and entertainment and dining, right? right? How are we eating? How are we eating now? Are we going to restaurants and having big business lunches or is it being catered in or are we just sending it to somebody and doing it over a zoom call? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, early on, I think the biggest shift has been, you know, the biggest thing has been this entire evaluation of what, you know, what a working environment is going to look like. And there's a difference there between what we, you know, what can be done and what can be done effectively and productively. Right. right. RP is, is productivity, um, is productivity really at the same level? Are people more productive or less productive working remotely than they are, say, in a, in, in, a, in a set environment? Right. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. Um, and it's really interesting how, you know, people had to get used to this shift over a year ago of, you know, changing their way of life entirely. And, you know, back right when this first started, people were, were so upset by everything. And, you know, the thought of having to do all these things online over a Zoom meeting or working from home seemed really upsetting. But now that people have adjusted to this way of life, I think going back to this, like, quote, unquote, normal is going to be an entirely different shift. And, I really don't think that it will ever go back to the way it was, but it'll just kind of, we'll reacclimate ourselves in another way. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's going to be, and, and you know, it, it really comes down, the, the, the big picture, you know, the overwhelming 
35,000 foot views, absolutely. We're also seeing those. We're also starting to see places where um, we're starting to see the sort of the micro situations where it's, it's a little more black and white, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in manufacturing, you can't have the guy or gal that's working the assembly line do that from home. So he right. or she needs to be back at the at the factory. Um, there are other spots where you know if you are more client facing. You know, I mean, a, a, a good example right now are, you know, you know, a client trying to go to his or her bank, right? And actually go into the bank to get into their lockbox sure. or to do something, right? Now you're trying to schedule appointments to have a banker there to be socially distanced and, and to do those things. So those are some of the pieces that are a little, a little more challenging. I think uh, back office or operations folks mm-hmm. probably have more flexibility to again be able to handle those things in a more remote environment. Sure. Uh, but again, the challenge is again is that how uh, you know what what level, at what what cost is is the productivity or the efficiency of getting things done? Um, you know, I mean, you know the studies, right? When you talk about things like you know they talk about efficiency and and you know time blocking and stuff. It's because you know it, you know how much how much efficiency do we lose? with distractions when we're trying to multitask right. and trying to do those things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And those little focus things, and it sounds it sounds kind of cliche, but, you know, if you're sitting here having a conversation like we are, and at the same point in time during a call with, with a client or, or with the research team at the NIH, you're in a situation where the IM from Microsoft Teams is, or, you know, or Zoom or whatever, the IM's beeping at you. Yep. Or you're getting emails that are coming in where somebody's now using email as an ongoing conversation, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 email, the email chain becoming an ongoing conversation thread is, is horribly inefficient mm-hmm. and it's distracting and, and, and things get lost, yes. right, in, in, those, in, in that. And so those are the things that, that we do have to figure out. And, and it's going to come down to and, – and the – it was a, like I said, it was, this was a discussion from the Wall Street Journal about three weeks ago during the survey with the CFOs that were really, really wanting to push it, mm-hmm. right? And they're saying, look, we're going to go back to normal. And what we have to remember at the end of the day is that the employers probably still have the leverage. Right. By and large, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the employer is still going to have the leverage at the end of the day by, by and large. Um, and, and so – it, you know, it's going to be a battle, but it, there's going to, it, it is going to be an interesting next 12 to 18 months because we also know, we've also seen study wise here more recently, um, you know, just in, just in the past, you know, if you look at spending, spending direction just over the last six to nine, you know, 60 to 90 days, you know, whether it's credit card utilization, planning for trips, comfort of going out to eating, all those things. Those things are all showing that people are, are, are wanting to get back to what we call, you know, you know, pre pre pandemic normal. Right. Right. Um, and it's very hard for an employee to tell an employer, I'm not comfortable coming into the office, but I'm going to go on a ski trip or a golf trip. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And it'll be really interesting to see how all of this plays out for sure and how it affects um, various 
businesses and various aspects of the economy and the workforce. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's exciting because I mean, you know, the biggest thing I think that that's exciting, right? And 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 you you've seen it more so over your four years, but you and Paige, you, you all have seen it through your high school and college time, right? I mean, I, I remember. I got my first cell phone when I was a freshman in college, okay? Which mm-hmm. was eons ago, okay? <laughs> so three decades, three decades ago, yep. I got my first cell phone, and you're like, oh, hey, I'm a, and you sort of had the cell phone, right? Because was, there was still a house phone actually in the fraternity house that I lived in. Oh, wow. Okay? <laughs> okay? That's and awesome. And then it went to, like, you get a job, and you get, like, a pager, and you get, like, the big plastic flip phone. Yep. And it, now it's a supercomputer in your hand. Exactly. Okay, well, that's the same thing that we saw happen this past year with how business is getting done. Mm-hmm. You know, Merrill Lynch just yesterday rolled out and introduced a totally paperless um, onboarding client process. Oh wow! Okay, which is and, and it's shocking to me, but it's also intriguing to me because the fact of the matter is is that you're now going to you're getting rid of wet signatures and forever the mindset has been, and this is a kind of a simplistic thing in, in our universe is that if somebody, you know, in, unless somebody physically puts their name to paper and signs it, is it really legitimate? Right. Right. But you're seeing, you're seeing the movement from that. Yes. And it's a byproduct of the last 12 months. Yes. 14 sure. months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it really is those little things too, that, um, we've relied on for this sort of meaning or, um, what we've always known as, um, a symbol of something and the the way that that is shifting, it is, it does seem, you know, a lot of these things do seem really oversimplified these days and it doesn't ascribe as much meaning as maybe it once did. And that itself is, is, um, a huge adjustment, even though those are small things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like, you know, I mean, you probably had, I mean, so on our platform here, um, like four years ago, we had this thing called Skype and mm-hmm. video stuff, right? Yep. I never, I had, I, I had used it never. Yep. <laughs> before last March. Yeah. Right? Nobody, I mean, like, whatever. Nobody knows what it is. Right. The biggest users of Zoom now are not us or not you all or my group even. It's the over 65 crowd. Wow. Are, 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 as a population, hey, well, they're, they're, they're the largest group of us out there anyway, right? Mm-hmm. By way of demographics, the sure. largest group of, of, of folks are, are, are the over 65. But the biggest using group is, is if you look at it by utilization in Zoom, is, mm-hmm. uh, is that crowd. Wow. Probably because they had to, right? right? Exactly. They weren't going to see. They, but how many of them have also adopted things like Facebook or Instagram to see what the kids and grandkids are doing now? True, that is very true. Um, and you just have to wonder. You know, we would, I think, assume that that a demographic of people would have been um, the least skilled in technology and just that learning curve I'm sure they had to go through at the beginning was probably really stressful but that's really interesting to know that that would be the largest demographic that would be using Zoom. 
if you look at if you look at some of the some of the data that's come mm-hmm. out, you'll see you'll see the jumps have been astronomical. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I think my next question would be um, kind of in a different note is. How do you think that the U.S. government handled providing financial support to both um, just Americans and families, but also for businesses as well? And if there is anything you would change, what would you change? So, irrespective of political position, right? right? Um, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest macro issues and topics that are out there today Um and, you know, there's actually, uh, there's been quite a bit written here just in the last two, three months has been this, this macro discussion on how much U.S. public debt is too much, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know, if you look at the fact that we're on target, U.S. federal debt's on target to rise to around $35 trillion wow. by 2023, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, is that a sustainable number, right? Right. Um, Obviously, the last 14, 15 months, you know, the COVID era, um, you know, we saw massive fiscal intervention um, and our levels went from $23.2 trillion at the end of 2019 mm-hmm. uh, to $27.9 trillion last month. So we've increased almost $5 trillion, um, you know, just in, a, just in a year and year and a half period of time. Wow. Um, that, you know... I think I think that you know, in the short term, you can definitely handle that, right? In the short mm-hmm. term, you can make those things work. Uh, the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates low, um, and I and I think that that's there. But you know, the the fact of the matter is, is that that is a that's a very big number, mm-hmm. um, and you know, debt service. You know, I mean, as interest rates begin to move up. The cost of managing that debt, you know, just like having a credit card at a two percent interest rate that goes up to ten percent interest rate, that's a whole different deal, sure. right? And, and that's going to be the challenge. The challenge in that space, I would have, I would have, you know, in, in looking back, um, you know, when it comes to those that were materially impacted from them, their jobs being put off, you know, them getting laid off and all like that, like, I, I think, I think we were too quick. And again, this is this is not uh, this is irrespective of political. This is across right. the board. Mm-hmm. I think we're too quick just to throw just to throw money at it, yeah. Um, rather than really look at, at at the material piece. To give you an example, you know, payroll companies companies you know submit payroll information to the federal government on a monthly basis, right? Whenever they right. get paychecks, mm-hmm. right? And in that are your withholdings. Right. So, you know, if we, you know, if we paid Layla X this month, there's also some, some withholdings for federal and federal and state taxes and like that way. Well, it would have been very easy. I mean, I would have thought, you know, maybe it takes you a week or two to do the computer coding to put out there to see, you know, was Layla's March or let's go to, you know, let's go to July, you know, it was July end of 2020 lower than July end of 2019 or lower than the month the quarter before sure. right I think there, there could have been ways to really better earmark and, and define where those dollars needed to go mm-hmm. uh, by people that were were impacted there were a lot of people that yeah that weren't working in the office anymore 
but we're still being paid their entire salary at the same point in time from, right. from the employer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that it, it was, it was a very, I understand the knee jerk of it. Um, but we've continued now to this point where it's just writing checks. And, right. and I think that it has been, and if you look at that, if you look at the data on what happened with those first stimulus checks, you know, a lot of the people that weren't, you know, income impacted took the money. Right. They weren't spending it on anything and they paid down debt, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So you saw a lot of debt paid down. So if you had debt out there, you wouldn't have paid it off or paid it down because you had this extra cash that you were planning on doing something with. Right. Um, now it's very stimulative, right? The most recent tax pay, uh, payments are going to, you know, give people money in the pocket. They've got a whole, whole burning in their pocket because they want to get out. They want to start traveling and they're going to start doing things. Yep. So that is going to give the economy a shot in the arm in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that where where we, 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 we shorted ourselves was that we just kind of threw money out there and it wasn't as targeted as it really needed to be. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh-huh. And I think that's a great point of how a lot of people who were collecting stimulus checks um, maybe didn't um, have a pay cut or weren't laid off from their job uh-huh. or anything like that. But they were receiving um, the stimulus check at the same time as maybe a group of people who were laid off from their jobs, did receive pay right. cuts, um, and things like that. So I think that's a great point you make of how it wasn't as carefully planned out as it, it could have been or distributed more targeted to particular groups. Yeah, the, the intentions the intentions are good, right? Mm-hmm. The, I think the execution kind of fell short. Right. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, the... You know, when you add in layers of bureaucracy anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, things are inefficient again, right? right? And so the inefficiencies of money getting out, the inefficiencies of the, the PPE program to the businesses yep. and the like that way. I think those those are all those are all really kind of kind, kind of kind of impactful things where you 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 could have simplified, you could have targeted different components. Um, to, to make things uh, more, more to more to be more impactful. For sure. Um, would it cost you know an extra week or two before a check gets out or this or that? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, but you know, I, I like to think there's, there's a lot of smart men and women that do computer work and coding for the various agencies of the government. They could have figured out how to figure out again if if somebody's W two earnings were were down quarter over quarter and. If it was down by a certain percentage, well, that's that's probably where you need to target the stimulus. Right. Um, you know, and again, it's it's not trying to be cheap; it's just trying to be res- responsible. Because the other part of the question that you lose is is that um, a lot of large corporations, right? Or I mean, a lot a lot of large corporations actually have had very good earnings from the situation right. because there was spending, right, that was mm-hmm. significantly just cut, right? I mean, yes. there are companies. Uh, without ma- naming names, that saved hundreds of millions of dollars just in travel, just in, in travel, traveling, travel-related expenses over sure. the course of the year. So, so a, a global multinational company um, 
you know, if they saved four hundred million dollars because all of a sudden they didn't have travel expenses and everything else going on, that's huge for them. Absolutely. Right? Um, and that drives and that drives earnings. On the flip side, though, um, you know, the small businesses, right? Whether they're individually owned mom and mom and pop businesses or small mm-hmm. family run businesses or small corporations that were either slowed down or stopped, you know, they're kind of hanging out there on their own again. Right. Right. Um, and we think that you're going to see, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're, you're now starting to see signs where the small businesses, we saw it anecdotally in the restaurants early on, right? Pick any yes. community, any town, mm-hmm. and you see all the, all the, non-chain businesses and mm-hmm. it's not it's nothing against corporate owned business restaurants for example but it's an observation right the number of family-run businesses that closed because they didn't have bank they didn't have the bank behind them right um to make those to make those pieces work so and to, you know in, in short my my piece is you know i think we could have been better focused then the government could have been better focused on how they allocated the dollars where they figured it was going mm-hmm. rather than just writing checks and 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 just kind of appeasing um because we could have used the money in different places other places as well right yeah that's a great point i completely agree um i think my next question would be um i saw a statistic earlier when i was doing some research that roughly half of non-retired adults say that the economic consequences of the pandemic on their finances will make it harder for them to reach their financial goals. And so I was wondering, what advice would you have for Americans who may feel set back from the pandemic in terms of reaching their financial goals and what they can do to kind of get back on track? I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a couple fold. I think, first of all, um, and many people have, have already started to do this in different ways, which is kind of just reevaluate the entire prior, you know, the priorities, you know, that the household has, mm-hmm. right? Some people did it when they were sitting around the house not doing anything, right. okay? Um, but, you know, for those, again, the, and, and where we're seeing the the negative impact, it was really a negative impact in, in two senses, right? Um, in, in, in the beginning of the pandemic, especially the February, March, in the early April timeframe, when, when, when the pandemic came to its head, and you had the first set of shutdowns and closures. Uh, we saw the market take a take a take a very meaningful pullback. Right. You know, from 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 levels. Um, there was knee jerk reactions during that, where people sold out um, because they didn't know what was going to happen. And by selling selling out, they they obviously stopped the downside potential, but obviously also hedged themselves and, and really limited themselves on any upside participation, which we've seen now with the S&P up almost 49%, you know, from a year ago. Sure. Right. And so I, I think that there's, there's a couple of things that individuals need to look at is, is that, you know, first of all, look at your overall philosophy and approach to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have, have those, th- you know, and break things down into three roll buckets, right? right. Um, have a liquidity bucket. Know, know what you need from a financial standpoint for the next three years or 36 mm-hmm. months, okay? And identify that you have those dollars available, that liquidity available for that time frame. Most people that are still working, like you referenced, they're going to have that hopefully from their W-2. Right. 
right? So they're going to work, they're going to get paid, they're going to use a salary, and that's going to cover those liquidity needs. Um, that next bucket, you know, next needs to be sort of that longevity bucket. Mm-hmm. And that's the money that goes from year four to year 30, okay? And in that bucket, that one needs to be a little more diversified. It needs to have a longer-term perspective, mm-hmm. right? Not just the knee-jerk reaction of if the market goes down 15 or 20%, like it did, you know, in those six weeks immediately after the start of the pandemic, people just pulled money out. Well, right. Then, once you're out, how are you getting back in? Yeah. Or when are you getting back in? Some people haven't gotten back in. And I think that you need to know if you have a high level of comfort with that, with your liquidity needs being met, then you have to trust the process and you have to have some growth exposure still in that longevity bucket. Yes. Okay. And then, and, and that, that really feeds into the fact that is that you're not trying to time the markets. And if, and if you're, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give yourselves the opportunities for that money to work for you. Mm-hmm. And when it's sitting in the sidelines because you knee jerked and panicked and sold, it's hard to have, right? It's not working for you when interest rates are where they are. So I think having the plan and knowing where different things are is is where you're going to do it. Where emotion is the worst, uh, I guess the the most guilty component of anything is is the worst decision maker is emotion. And so we try to take emotion out of the conversation. It's very easy to have emotion in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But we we owe it to ourselves um, to have very very candid and very realistic conversations of what are we trying to do and what's the time frame. Right. Um, and 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 I think that that's that's the hardest part. My hope is that you know that as some people and a lot of people anecdotally have simplified their lives, simplified their houses, right? The purges, the cleaning, right? The thinning, all those things that people did when they were stuck at home. And I think that's the same thing we need to do here. Simplify the goals, simplify what you want and what you need your retirement dollars to do, what your retirement plan is. Um, And then be very, very similar to the government. Be very focused and very pinpointed on what different different buckets or different resources, investments are going to do, and what what purpose they're they're being they're being uh, they're being attributed to. Sure. Yeah, those are great points, and I think that kind of leads into my last question too, which is, um, if we do see another, whether it's a pandemic um, or some sort of other large unprecedented event in our lifetime, what would you recommend that Americans do to protect their assets or prepare for such event? Well, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that we will see mm-hmm. at least another another shock. And, you know, it's... Uh, and, and look, I mean, we saw the, the credit crisis of 2008 and nine. Right. We had the tech, we had the tech bubble of 2000, mm-hmm. right? So you have the tech bubble in 2000, you have the credit crisis of 08, 09, you now have the global pandemic of 2020. So mm-hmm. the one thing that we know from a cycle standpoint is, is that, you know, every eight to 10, 12 years, you're going to have some kind of shock right. in the economy, you know? You're going to have, and, and, and it's cyclical in nature, mm-hmm. right? And those things are always going to be there. Um, and I think that we have to go into it with that mindset of, 
we are going to have periods of volatility. You're going to have economies, periods where things slow down. I mean, you can't have low interest rates, low inflation, and and, and, and moderate economic growth like we have for the last 12 years uh, sustainable forever. Right. Right. And so, so that, so you're going to have some of those things. And I think it goes back to exactly what we were talking about a second ago, Layla, mm-hmm. which is, is that, is that the individual to protect yourselves, you, you need to a protect yourself from emotional decision-making. Right. You need to have laid out in your head and in, and in structure a structure that, that you, your, 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 your partner or spouse, the family is most comfortable with utilizing and have that plan mm-hmm. in that base, right? right? Because, you know, what we've seen is the reason why we look at that liquidity bucket as a three year, as a three year kind of time frame, right? Mm-hmm. Is that most, most market shocks historically have lasted around less than three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if you know that you've got the, the cash flow need for a three-year period of time, then why why sell things out or make rash decisions on everything else, right? right? And that's what we're trying to do, is that we're going to have these shocks. We don't know when they're going to happen. We don't know what degree that they're going to happen. Um, no one knew when they were selling out in the middle of April last year if the market was going to stabilize and then shoot right back up or what was going to happen, right? Right. Um, and nobody had, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's purely a rearview mirror situation. And so breaking down your retirement portfolio, as well as your non-retirement portfolio or investment portfolio, separating out things like kids' college funds and like that way, as that need for that goal comes closer to time, comes closer to fruition, mm-hmm. you're going to be more conservative. You're going to take less risk. For sure. Right. Uh, if you're 50 years old and you're retiring in 20 years, then you know what? You know, running it all into CDs during the middle of a pandemic isn't the most logical thing to do. Right. It's an emotional thing that can be yep. done. And I think that's, again, what are we trying to do with it? Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if you need to pay, pay your son or daughter's college tuition next year, you probably want to have that cash a little more, a little more conservative or a little more accessible, sure. right? Again, that goes to that liquidity need and, and, and bucket piece. Um, we're going to have, you know, hopefully it's not a pandemic, but you know, you know, you're, we're going to have different shocks and different things. I mean, geopolitical risks aren't going away. Sure. Uh, market volatility isn't going to go away. I mean, there's always going to be a headline that can lead one way or another, um, and I think that. We owe it to ourselves as, as, as individuals and individual investors to sit there and say, okay, what's my plan? And let me break down all of the goals and needs as specifically as I can and, and, and be able to pinpoint what resources, what investments, what accounts at this place or that place are attributed to each one. Right. And if we focus on each of them individually, we're going to make different decisions when that triggering event comes up. Because we're going to look at it and sit there. I mean, I mean, can you imagine if somebody that has a has a two year old has a college fund that cashed it out last year because they're worried about it continuing to go down? Well, that's right. well and good, and 
the money's not going to go down, but you just miss this next year and, and your, and your kid's not going to school for another 16 years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're limiting yourself in that situation. And that's what, we're, and that's what we're trying to fight against. So that's what we yeah. try to advise clients about is not just to be patient and not always, you know, the market doesn't always go up, but we've seen over history that the market does go up, right? And it, right. It, it will have to continue to grow. If the economy starts, if the markets stop growing and moving forward, we have bigger issues, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and those are the things that we need to be attuned to. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. And I think it's just, it's so easy when these things happen to want to make those quick, rash decisions um, out of fear or out of all those emotions. But I think... Um, just to everyone listening, um, it's really important to step back and, um, identify your emotions and understand that you have to just trust the process and trust that, you know, as long as you have all of your other things in line, like things will be all right and you will need, you know, money in other places to continue growing your own wealth, um, for sure. Yeah, you have to let it work. I mean, there are times when pieces need to work for you and they need need to be there for you and work for yes. you, right? And so it's always having, you know, for those that are working, it's having it's having that reserve fund. Have those six months of living expenses readily available right. in case you get laid off or mm-hmm. in case you're not working for a period of time, right? Right. Have a good feel of where am I getting my living expenses on for the next couple of days, you know, for the next mm-hmm. couple of years, I'm sorry, for the next three years, know where that is. And then let the other buckets grow themselves through. And then, you know, again, we did see, again, we saw people do some very prudent things last year with those first checks, which was they didn't, you know, they, they didn't try to figure out how to go to Amazon as fast as they can and spend it, although many did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, but, you, but you saw you saw debt pay down, right? You, yes. saw, you saw people deleveraging themselves. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's that's prudent. That's smart. Yes. You know, absolutely. Low interest rates now are, are are encouraging people to refinance their homes and the like that way, and and again provide a little additional financial stability coming out of this. For sure. Um, so those are all good. Those, those are those are positives uh, that people are taking advantage of as well. In agreement with Peter, although things could have been handled differently from a financial perspective from the beginning of the pandemic, we must do what we can now to recover our assets and prepare for the next inevitable economic downturn. Keep saving and investing and don't let your emotions drive your economic decisions. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.